Well, uh, welcome to week three of our series, LOL. The past few weeks, we've been uh, talking about what the Bible has to say about laughter. And the funny thing is about heaven, when it comes to conversations around heaven, especially in the entertainment industry, well, heaven is portrayed as rather boring and un. Interesting. In fact, uh, the, I don't know if you've ever seen the show The Good Place. That's, that's anything uh, but heavenly. Um, my family, we enjoy the movie Boss Baby. Anybody seen the movie Boss Baby? If you've got kids, you've probably seen it. If you want to know where babies come from, watch the movie Boss Baby. There's like this like baby factory in heaven and clouds. It's pretty amazing. Not true, but amazing nonetheless. But when you look at comics, there's clouds, there's angels, there's wings, and a guy sitting on a cloud saying, wish I'd brought a magazine. There's no appeal to heaven. In fact, Billy Joel famously once sung, and they say there's a heaven for those who await. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know that only the good die young. And some of you are mad at me because you're going to be singing this song the rest of the day. You see, when it comes to a conversation around heaven, here's what's true. Heaven seems underwhelming when we lack understanding. And pastors like myself don't always make things better. Because sometimes when we talk about heaven, we say, in heaven, we're going to worship God for all eternity. And some of you, I get 20 minutes into the message and you start checking your watch. So imagine what it's going to be like for all eternity. Today, my simple hope, my goal, is to help us understand when it comes to the things in life that we don't want to laugh about, the things in life that hurt, the things that are, are difficult to walk through, that there is a laughter that we all long for in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, we're, we're grateful for your word, and we're grateful for this reminder, and we're grateful for this this promise that we're about to read today, Lord. God, we all fall short. Your scriptures say that we should seek our hearts and see if there's any offensive way within us, Lord. Would you bring to surface those things in our life that we may be chasing after or running towards that will leave us empty and unsatisfied? And this morning, as your spirit moves through your word, would you help my words to be clear so that you can be glorified? and lives would be changed. We pray these things in the power of your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if you have your, your Bible, we're going to be hanging out in Luke chapter 6, verses 20 and 21 this morning. This is a famous sermon that Jesus gave. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a famous sermon. Uh, many people have studied, about, studied it, talked about it. It's in multiple locations in the New Testament. We have it in the Gospel of Luke, and we have it in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, if you are a skeptic at heart, and you're the type of person that reads through the Bible, if you're the type of person that has questions when it comes to maybe some of the discrepancies, you're like, why does it say something here and not say something there? One of the things that we need to understand about the Bible is that it's not in contradiction. But some of these stories, some of these things that are taking place are seen from multiple vantage points. It's similar to if you were listening to eyewitness testimony of someone that watched the same thing take place, but they tell different details. And so while Matthew and Luke might have different accounts here, it's the same moment. It's the same highlights from the same message. It doesn't contradict. Rather, it complements. 
But one of the things that I find fascinating about what Jesus is speaking about here is that Jesus knew that this was going to be a message that would be passed down from generation to generation to generation. And out of all of the things that he could have spoken about, he spoke about this. Think about it. He could have solved the creation debate for us once and for all. He could have leaned in and explained all of that. He could have given us more details when it comes to the life of Moses. He could have helped us better understand all that's taking place in Lamentations. And instead of giving us a message of sanctification, he gave us this message of salvation. Because when Jesus came... His message, his purpose was this. I have come to seek and save the lost. So here's what he says. Looking at his disciples, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Now, the average person listening to Jesus' message during this time, they would have described Jesus as a madman. Because when Jesus taught, his teachings were the opposite of human thinking. But his teachings were also the opposite of religious thinking. In fact, many people found Jesus offensive. Sometimes when we talk about messages here at Eastern Hills, we say, we hope you find this message both helpful and hopeful. People that were listening to the teachings of Jesus would not have described it in that way. In fact, some people went as far to say that Jesus was speaking on behalf of Satan. Think about this. In what economy at any point in history would one say poverty, hunger, sorrow, and rejection are a blessing? And... When are riches, satisfaction, happiness, and popularity a curse? You see, we gravitate towards stories where poverty is transformed into riches. We gravitate towards stories where there was hunger and now there's satisfaction. We gravitate stories where people were rejected and found popularity. But the thing that sets Christianity apart from all other worldviews or philosophies in life, is that the message of Christianity does not add to the brilliance of humanity. It replaces it entirely. Jesus came to establish a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of loving others. Listen again. Over and over again, use this word blessed. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hunger. Blessed are you who weep now. Now, this conversation around blessing and curses for the Jews would not have been a new conversation. This is terminology that we're familiar with in the Old Testament, but it's certainly a different economy. To be blessed is to receive God's favor. The word literally means to be in the most favorable condition. But if you were to go, and I hope you do this this week, to read the Sermon on the Mount in both contexts in its entirety, the message is simple. In life, there are two camps. There are those that are blessed, and there are those that are cursed. There's no middle ground. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. You're either in God's most favorable state and condition, 
connected to Jesus, blessed or not? It's as simple as that. We pray for God's blessings, but the scriptures tell us that if you know Jesus, you are already blessed. You are in the most favorable state. You've already received God's favor. When Jesus said these words, it's not like he's giving a graduation speech. Would you aspire to live this way? It's not wishful thinking. He's not even praying for this. He's teaching it as a statement, as a matter of fact, as a baseline, a foundation of truth in life. He says, blessed are you who are poor. Not those that are living paycheck to paycheck. Not those that that are living meal to meal. But rather those that are spiritually bankrupt. Meaning that your mindset in life is, I have nothing, nothing at all apart from Jesus. Apart from the Holy Spirit, I'm just an empty ATM machine when it comes to blessings in life. Like nothing can come out. But connected to him, I have everything more than I could dream, hope, or imagine. This word here, poor, describes someone that's begging. It's a position of cowering, hands out, seeking assistance. In the Greek, you can't get any lower than this state. But don't miss this. Jesus says, when you turn from a life of sin and you transfer your allegiance from someone or something else to Jesus, something amazing takes place. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for what? Yours is the kingdom of God. How many people here today like shopping? Raise your hand. Like on a Saturday, of all the things that you would do with your time, you're like, let's go shopping. Hands up. A few people. Okay. How many of you, when you go shopping, you know how to stick to the list? A few people. Now, the rest of us, when we enter into the store or department store or grocery store or the hardware store, our imaginations run wild. We see a plethora of opportunities of what we could do and discover in life. My wife has learned through the years, do not send me to the grocery store alone. But when she goes with me, I look at, we could have this for dinner and we could have that for lunch. Or wouldn't that be an amazing appetizer? And of course I'm saying we, and she does the majority of the cooking for us. We could do this. However, when we go to the hardware store, the situation is reversed. Like, I go to the hardware store, we've got a few things, we're going to stick to the list, and we go down the aisle and, honey, look what we could do. We could do this to the house. We could do this to the yard. You go in with one Saturday booked, and I'll see you next spring by the time we get out of the store. Because there's endless possibilities. Don't miss this. When we transfer our allegiance to Jesus, Jesus says, come in. He opens it up. And he doesn't just say, stick to the list. It's not like, hey, there's a sale on joy in aisle three. If you're looking for some hope, you can find that down on the shelves in aisle 10. No, no, no. 
He invites you in and says, everything must go. Joy, peace, comfort, satisfaction, full satisfaction, true hope, love, all of it is ours. Turn to someone and say, that's crazy. Now turn to someone else and say, but that's the Lord. When you transfer your trust to Jesus, you become co-heirs with him. Everything that belongs to Jesus, you now partake in. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, moments ago we sang a song, House of the Lord. And it's, we sang the song, we were beggars, now we're royalty. That's the theology that Jesus is unpacking here. He says, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And he's not talking about physical food. He's talking about a spiritual condition. The, the word here, satisfies, means to be foddered like an animal, meaning like an animal eats until it's satisfied. When we experience eternity, there's going to be a banquet. It, it's far better than any Las Vegas buffet where it's like all you can eat of the best that you can imagine. It's not food that's presented at the banquet. It's spiritual satisfaction. Sometimes I hear people like, I just, I just crave depth. I, I want to learn more. I want to study more. You know, what, do you have any books that we could read or commentaries that we could go through? And I think that's great. And that's what happens when we transfer our allegiance to Jesus. There's this gnawing hunger within us for more. But sometimes the conversation goes this way. We go Bible study to Bible study, church to church, pastor to pastor, communicator to communicator, looking for something that will only be experienced in heaven. The longing for depth is good, but you will never be fully satisfied until that eternal banquet takes place. Jesus says, blessed are you are hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Now, years ago, um, David Ireland, oops, uh, we're having clicker fun today. All right, this is great. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. <clears throat> for those of you that ever look at the world and do this, for those of you that maybe ever watch the news, for those of you that open up your social media news feed and it's one tragic story after the next, where you enter into conversations and it's death, it's disease, it's divorce, it's, it's devastation. <clears throat> and your response is, this is heartbreaking. Like, this world is messed up. That's a normal response. Because to look at this world and say this is the good life is problematic. Like, it's okay to be grateful for the family that you have. Like, I'm grateful for the marriage that I have. I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful for all that he's provided. I'm grateful for that vacation I had. I'm grateful for the talents that I have. I'm grateful for my church. I'm grateful for my Bible study. It's good to be grateful for all of those things. But when you have this mindset of, say, I've got it all. 
I'm completely satisfied. That's a problem because this place is not home. But even in the midst of all of that, there's always something within us longing for something better. See, sometimes the problem is that when it comes to faith, we have faith with this expectation, as long as I have faith in God, then I'll have perfect health. As long as I have faith, I'll be provided for. As long as I have faith, everything in life will be good. And so we avoid sin to curry favor with God. We give to get. We serve to be served. We forgive to be forgiven. We have hope to be healed. But the gospel says that we have hope regardless of healing. The gospel says that we give because he gave. We serve because he came to be served, and now we're connected to him, so we serve out of our love for him. Maybe you've heard of this, this book. It's called Letters to a, an Unborn Child. It's by a guy named David Ireland. And David Ireland was diagnosed with a crippling neurological disease that eventually would take his life. And so what he sat down to do was write letters to his unborn child. All the things that he would wish to tell them if they weren't around. And after he completed the book and published it, someone asked him the question, do you believe that God is going to heal you? Here's what he said. Do I really need to be healed? I'm firmly convinced that God is extremely good and that he does love and understands all the world and all the people in it. Does he want to heal me? I can't even answer that. My faith is in the genuineness of God, not in whether he will do this or that to demonstrate his goodness. That's not the nature of my relationship to God. Last week, I talked about the importance of faith and that the story of Abram and Sarah was this, this laughter of disbelief rooted in skepticism and fear, but that in time, God transformed this laughter into a laughter of, look at what God has done. And so the invitation was to our church, like, what if we had more wow before how? Like, how's important? How things are going to take place, having a plan, all of those things are important. But wow is this reflection of look at what God has done in his resume and what he's done in other people's life. And we say what God might do. What, is, what, what, what capabilities does he have? And yet sometimes we have faith and there's not healing. Sometimes we have faith and hope that the circumstances would get better and they, they don't. Hebrews 11 is known as like the, the hall of fame chapter of people that have faith and their story after stories of people that had faith in God. But what I find most interesting about Hebrews 11 is that in the middle of it, there's some unknowns. People whose names are not mentioned. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. There were, they were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. 
They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And the author goes on to say, so let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. For the laughter set before him of all of those that would transfer their allegiance from someone or something else to him, he took on the cross. You see, what Hebrews is highlighting is this, that while we might weep now, there will come a day where we laugh. Some of you are familiar with the, the Voice of the Martyr magazine, where it says that every day 13 Christians worldwide are killed for their faith. Like, to be a follower of Jesus in Pakistan, to just say, I follow Jesus, you will be beaten, possibly abducted, tortured, or killed just for following him. We get to follow Jesus here in this country. We get to have those freedoms. We get to worship in this way. And yet some people, when it comes to their faith in Jesus, it's not laughter that they experience. It's weeping. But what Jesus is saying here is that if we don't laugh much here in this life, in these circumstances, we will absolutely laugh often there. See, life doesn't come with this promise of health. It doesn't come with the promise of wealth. It doesn't come from a, with the promise of freedom, of tragedy and despair, freedom from disease or hardship. What Jesus promises in just a couple of verses later is this. Great is your reward in heaven. Not here, but there. If you guys listen to the, the, you know, the television advertisements before, you've probably heard this before, and, and movie previews where they'll say, brought to you by the makers of, and they'll, re they'll reference some other movie that you're, you're excited about at some point in the future, and they'll say, if you enjoy this movie, you'll enjoy the makers, or you'll enjoy possibly this movie because the same people made it. Well, think about it this way. The same God that created the Grand Canyons brings us heaven. Like, the same God that created the sunset brings us heaven. Jesus said, I'm leaving to go and prepare a place for you. And he's had thousands of years to work on it. Like, the same God that, that brings you the, the beauty found here brings you heaven. In the beginning, God says to humanity, fill the earth and subdue it. It's not humanity that created adventure. God is the one that brought adventure to us. And heaven will be an adventure. Like if you enjoy the thrill of some of the things that are taking place here, like kayaking and the thrill of going out uh, hiking and seeing all of God's creation or the thrills of getting on and riding a wave to going out and camping and looking at the stars and the universe and the galaxy, the same God that brings you all of that is bringing you eternity. 
Like the same God that brings you all of the moments you have with friends, the same God that brings you the moments you have with family, the same God that brings the miracle of life into the world is bringing us eternity. That same God will bring a laughter that we all long for. But the best part, the best part about heaven is the presence of Jesus. The best part is when we're face to face in his presence, the laughter that will come from that experience, the joy, the thing that we've been waiting for, longing for, will finally take place. And so this morning, so far we've gotten to hang out with Austin and Destiny. They're here candidating for a position for us, with us on, sta- on staff as worship arts candidates. So I'm gonna invite Austin and, and Destiny back here on the platform to lead us in a song. And it's a familiar song. It's kind of like one of those throwback songs. You've probably heard it before, I Can Only Imagine. In fact, there's a movie that came out recently. But the song describes that moment in which we're in the presence of Christ. John wrote about this experience in the last book of the Bible. It's found in Revelation. It says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned and I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades, meaning he is over all things. Would you stand to your feet this morning? And I want to invite you to imagine the moment that we'll encounter Jesus. Let's sing together.
close your eyes and let's consider for a moment together. I want you to just to think about all the things that are painful in your life right now. I want you to think about the anxiety that might grip you, the, the insecurities that you might have, the lies that you're telling yourself over and over again when your head hits the pillow the fear of what what might happen, what could be, the person that you're praying for to be healed over and over again, for the relationship to be restored, for the circumstances to change, the thing that's just a heavy burden in your heart right now. Now I want you to release that as you think about the perfect presence of God and his creation, free from pain, devastation, heartbreak, filled with joy, peace, comfort, the satisfaction we long for, hope, true riches, deep satisfaction. Imagine hearing the voice of God, laughing with him in his presence. Father, 
would you help us in those moments of weeping to remind us of the laughter that we long for. That whether we say all is great right now or things are really hard, to know that this is not the end, that this is not our home. Would you remind us that to be connected to you is where true blessing is found. And Father, would you give us the courage and the confidence in you to share that hope with others. We pray these things in the power of your Son, Christ Jesus' name. Amen.